It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Maybe on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen. From the Vivid Seat Studios. And by the way, you can get yourself up to 100 bucks off your first purchase after you download the Vivid Seats app if you use the promo code OVERTIME. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined to talk about the latest news and answer some of your mailbag questions by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. Chris, I think there were some Jets fans that were very upset. They were about to burn it all down, as Seth Rollins would say. They were going to carry picket signs over to one Jets drive at Florham Park if the Jets didn't rectify their horrendous mistake of cutting Greg Dortch. I guess they sort of rectified it because he's on the practice squad now. I, I think that should be enough to appease the people who were going to go riot. But if they were thinking about rioting, maybe not. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw that we, we riot, and I'm like, over oh, Greg Dorch? Really? Like, the, the, man, I mean, ugh, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. There, there, there's a lot more problems going on in this world than if Greg Dorch made the team or not. So I would hold off on protests and riots over Greg Dorch, but he's back. He's on the practice squad. I was jo- just joking with you that, about this before, like, this is part of why I was laughing at everyone's reaction to my uh, my takes on the Jakai Polite situation is I've never more than just been like, yeah, I would have done that when we're talking about a guy that's cut from a, a, the a, end of the training camp roster because it's not like, yeah, I might have took this guy instead of this guy, but both of them are probably going to be out of the league soon or you know, not really uh, contributors way down the line. Greg Dorch has a chance to develop into a decent returner and a, a fourth or fifth receiver as a slot guy. But that's the ceiling we're talking about. And if you're talking about rioting over that, uh, you should probably uh, get your priorities in order. Chris, as we were talking about before we started recording, if you have yourself a truly electric return guy like Devin Hester or Dante Hall, Dave Meggett, Mel Gray, somebody along those lines – then by all means, bring them in and have that be the only thing that they do. But if somebody's only a competent return man, you're going to want them to be able to do other things because of the nature of what you need on your roster with the 53 guys that you have. And so Greg Dorch just didn't bring enough to the table as a wide receiver. Maybe he eventually learns that position to the point where he could be a competent fourth or fifth option. He's nowhere near that right now. There was nothing you saw when you were at camp every day. Joe Blewett reviewed his film from Wake Forest. He said there was a lot that was left to be desired from what Dorch did as a wide receiver. So 
Listen, maybe he develops now on the practice squad, but I'm not sure why everybody was getting so upset about it. Another addition to the practice squad, by the way, Ian Bunting, tight end from the Bears. I don't know much about Ian Bunting, to be honest with you, Chris, but he's going to be on the practice squad. I guess there's something about him that they like. It's pretty much all I have to say. Yeah, and honestly, it could just be uh, stash him on the practice squad for the first four weeks of the season in case, uh, you know, one of the other guys gets hurt, and then once Chris Herndon gets back, uh, they can move on from there. Uh, you know, maybe they even uh, slide Wesco to the practice squad uh, at that point. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, that, I mean, it's not like this Ian Bunting somebody that I expect to be playing a huge role at any point either. So he, he went straight to the practice squad for a reason. As expected, Brent Quale put on IR, which opened up a spot on the active roster, which meant the return of Albert McClellan, the linebacker that Michael Nania really, really likes. So there you go. Albert McClellan, another linebacker here on the Jets on the active roster. Yeah, they got their fourth uh, inside linebacker now. He He's going to really help them on special teams, though. Uh, so that's that's what they're going for there. That's where he'll definitely be able to uh, have an impact. But... Yeah, you know, again, we're talking about bottom of the roster guys, and you got to be able to do both. And they, they don't. If he, if he's playing a lot, then that's going to be a little bit of a problem. But they don't have a, a depth at all. There, they only had three guys there, so obviously uh, they had to bring him in and somebody else there. I know everybody uh, was super interested in, or not everybody, but a lot of people were super interested in uh, the linebacker Brandon Marshall. I know they're interested in him because they know his name and they know he was a good, a really good player. He is no longer a really good player. So I don't waste any more breath hoping or uh, waiting on that to happen because it's not going to help. couple of players of note, Josh Doxson, somebody we talked about as a possibility for the Jets. He signs with the Vikings. Eric Tomlinson goes to the Giants on their practice squad. Davis Webb will be with the other team in week one, the Buffalo Bills. He signs to their practice squad. Also, two other notable names, Noah Spence and Laquan Treadwell visited the Bills. No idea if anything is going to come of that. Heinz Ward added as a coach. He was a coaching intern throughout training camp. I guess he impressed them. Chris, what did you see from Heinz Ward when you observed at training camp? Did he look like somebody that was hands-on? Were the players going to him and asking for advice? What was he doing at training camp? He was definitely hands-on. He was, uh, you know, all constantly, every time I saw him, he was talking to one receiver, showing him, uh, you know, some subtlety of a route or going over stuff. He was he was doing a lot of that. Um you know, it's not like I sat there and watched him super closely. I was obviously my eyes were on the field, but every time I saw him, he was doing, he was coaching. He was coaching guys up, and I know I've talked to uh, the, some of the receivers, and they really, I, I mean, obviously they respect him. They know what what he was, what he was about, uh, and they talked about him with glowing praise. So uh, you can, it's really a simple explanation as, uh, to why they would make him a full time coach. He he earned it. He's going to help this this wide receiver group on on and off the field. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Adam Gase spoke to the media today, addressed a variety of subjects. His answer when pressed about Ja'Kai Polite during the draft process made me laugh in a way that only Gase could make me laugh because of the manner in which he sometimes answers questions. By the way, Chris, Gase shaved his beard. I think this more or less cements that the Jets are going 0-16 this year. Yeah, that you shave that beard, that, that's a terrible move. Honestly, you should be fired right now because this team is doomed now without that uh, that beard. I mean, I guess if he, you know, they lose the first couple weeks, maybe he can grow it back quick enough and they might be able to turn it around. But this this whole shaving the beard, uh, that was a huge misstep from him. Absolute misstep. But, uh, yeah, his comments about Polite were, were hilarious. He, oh, I don't really remember what the, happened with the draft room. Uh, okay. And then he talked – he basically made it sound like the choice was between Kyle Phillips and Ja'Kai Polite for a, a spot. But And then uh, I forget exactly what he said, but it said it in a way that was like, oh, well, Kyle Phillips could play some outside linebacker. And some, no, he can't. And no, he can't. <laughs> like So it, it was – you know, he, he sidestepped that question. Uh, he wouldn't confirm or deny anything about the the hundred thousand dollars in fines. Uh, that doesn't say anything one way or another. But he basically he he uh, refrained from putting all the blame on McCagnan, but at the same time he also refrained from putting any of the blame on him. So he did he did what coaches are expected to in that situation. And Sam Darnold had a little something to say as well. Yeah, Sam talked. Now he didn't. He didn't have too much to say, you know. He's he said he's getting a little bit of the jitters. Is excited. He's excited. It feels like, uh, you know, the season's about to start. Um, he talked about going and facing Josh Allen and their relationship of the Davis Webb signing with the Bills. Um, but the main thing he said is uh, was asked about the offense. He said that he thinks it'll be electric. They're going to do some fun things and all the tempo and different things they can do, so it'll be fun and uh, hopefully put a lot of points up on the board. Uh, that that was getting a lot of traction, obviously. Uh, you know, what I, What do you want them to say? Like, that's, that seems like exactly what I would expect most starting quarterbacks to say about their offense, whether it's true or not. Uh, I do think he believes it. I think – a lot of this just has to do with the offense that they are in last year with Bates 
And uh, Gase is obviously going to try to do a little more tempo. He's got some more uh, expanded uh, playbook than Bates did. So he's obviously excited about that and understandably so. Now let's dip into the mailbag, Chris. And we will start with Zach Sports 247. He says, are the Jets going to sign Luke Wilson, Brandon Marshall, or a pass rusher like Noah Spencer, Shane Ray, because they are dying at those positions. Even a corner like Michael Jackson would be welcome. I'm going to be honest, and Chris, I think you may agree with me. All the names you just mentioned, I wouldn't necessarily be against adding any of them, but none of them are really that impressive. Brandon Marshall's best years are behind him. So are Luke Wilson's. Noah Spence had a nice rookie year and has been MIA ever since. Shane Ray is more or less a jag, to be honest. I never liked him coming out of college anyway. So I just don't really think that it's that big of a deal to add any of those guys. I realize that there are deficiencies on this roster, and I'm sure Joe Douglas is going to be looking for possible upgrades where he can find them. But at this point, I don't know how much of an upgrade you're going to get when you're talking about guys on the waiver wire. The bulk of Joe Douglas's work in terms of being able to really remake this roster is going to start after the 2019 season. And I know that in some ways it's frustrating because you want the team to have good players at every position or at least competent players at most positions. But there are certain positions that are just not going to be able to be filled beyond somebody as a placeholder until next season. It's just the reality of it. Those guys, all of them are okay, I guess. But at this point, most of them are more names than producers. So I wouldn't be upset if they were added. But I also don't think that there's a ton of value in doing it. Yeah, none of those names uh, would excite me. Uh, Also, like... The only name that that was out there that I I would have really been like, yeah, they should go after was Dotson. Um, everybody else, like I, I expected uh, more this this year. The waiver wire didn't uh, shake out in a helpful way to the Jets at all. Normally, there's a couple more good players. You get a couple more cap casualty type of situations here. Um, but we we didn't get a lot of that this year. You know, somebody like a cornerback, Orlando Skandrick, but he has the ability to sign wherever he wants now. And is, is he going to want to go sign somewhere where he would be at best the, the fourth cornerback right now? He could probably get more playing time elsewhere. So I don't even know if that's going to uh, – if he would even consider coming here right now. Um but yeah, this this team has lots of holes. But and and just obviously, just because I didn't see that anybody out there on that list doesn't mean that there isn't somebody out there. Of course, there's there's probably five to ten guys that I I just don't know about that could help. But I can't sit here and tell you to go after those guys if I don't know about them. So, um, you know, the the names that I saw out there, it was Dotson, Skandrick, and then Spence, but. Uh, You know, we talked about Spence and yeah, why I would bring him in. It's not like I'm going to crush them for not bringing him in because there's a reason he got released and it wasn't a cap casualty reason. Uh, He just hasn't produced. He hasn't been playing well. uh, And I I get it. And again, we talked about this. If Greg Williams didn't want Ja'Kai Polite and wanted to turn him into a three-down linebacker, he'd probably want to do the same with Noah Spence. Uh, I don't think they're going to – he's just going to say, okay, now I'll carve out a designated pass rusher uh, spot. 
So I, I get fans are antsy, and I want and know they just want them to sign people, but I I just don't know anybody out there that I could be like, yeah, you need to go sign him. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Next question also involves Noah Spence. It's from Matt Pasco. He says, very surprised to see both Doxon and Noah Spence go unclaimed. Do you have any idea as to why? I think with Spence, a lot of it has to do with him just not doing anything. But also, he was a second-round pick, so his salary is significantly more than he would probably get in a league minimum deal, which is what he's most likely looking at now. And I think it's a similar case with Doxson. Remember, Doxson was a first-round draft pick, and if you claim somebody, you're claiming what they have left on their contract. So I think a lot of teams probably felt like if they were going to get Doxson, they wanted to get him for less than what he was making under that first-round pick contract. Because whereas somebody like Ezekiel Elliott is looking to be paid elite money compared to his rookie deal, somebody who is getting first-round rookie money and didn't produce that well is going to be looking at a lot less money in his second contract. So that's my suspicion with those two guys. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. Now, obviously, if teams valued them so much that they were willing to pay that, then they would have placed a claim on him. But the teams didn't value them that much. They probably said, okay, let's let them clear waivers, see if they're still available, and then we can try to work out a cheaper contract with them. Again, I'm a big Dotson fan, but I get it. I understand why other teams didn't want to pay that. Even it's not something that, you know, I, I don't know what his salary was, but I know where he was drafted. It's not going to be something that's going to like cripple a salary cap or something is not, but teams like, like to be cheap with these moves and understandably so. So, uh, that, that's why they weren't claimed on waivers. Now Dotson gets to choose where he went. He gets to choose to, uh, reunite with his, his former quarterback and Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. So that'll give them some comfort level there. But that that's why teams aren't claiming guys right away. It's because of the contract. And then you'll wait and see. And, you know, he the, now Noah Spence is out there. He gets to choose. But, again, I just can't see Greg Williams and the Jets signing up for that now. Next question comes in from John McAnally. He says, how do you feel the Jets match up with the Bills? What are some key matchups to keep an eye on? I'm feeling pretty nervous. Well, John, if you want the answers to those questions, you're going to have to listen to our new show, Prepare for Takeoff with Pauly Brzez, which will be available later this week. He's going to have Mike Lindsley on to talk about the Bills. Each week, Pauly's going to have somebody that covers the opposing team, and they are going to go bit by bit through the matchup and analyze the key aspects of it from the opposing point of view. You're also going to want to listen to the pregame show with myself and Chris. That'll be available on Saturday. So that's my answer to that. Listen to those two podcasts, and you'll have all the answers you need, John. 
Next question comes in from Byron. He says, how professional are X-Jets making other teams that the team plays in weeks one and two when it comes to offensive game plans? I'm referring to Webb with the Bills and McGuire at the Browns. So there's some weird wording with that question, but I guess what he's asking is, how much is it going to help the Bills to have intel from Davis Webb or the Browns to have intel from Elijah McGuire? We've seen teams do this for years. I'm sure on the margins every now and again they get a useful bit of information, but I don't think it really matters that much. Yeah, I've talked to uh, players and coaches over the years about this, and they always kind of scoff at it. Every once in a while, you'll get something where, like, uh, a player on a team knows a certain tell about, like, a quarterback or, uh, like, an offensive lineman. He'll set his feet a little wider in a run uh, pass play than a run play. Or there's there can be little tells like that that sometimes they can pass along. But this has been going on forever in the NFL. Uh, they, I promise you that they've spent time uh, adjusting their calls and, and doing little things. So if Davis Webb is telling them exactly how it's going to go, they'll add a little bit of a wrinkle in there that'll throw it all off. Um, it's not something that I'd be concerned about. Uh, you know, it, you, we see it all the time. And, we see all the time with the Patriots players, too. Belichick cut somebody. The team is playing them the next week, scoops them up. And it definitely never works there. So I don't know why people are still always so hung up on it, expecting it to be a huge problem. This happens literally every week in the NFL. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, would you rank Mike McCagnin as one of the worst general managers of all time with his draft record and free agent signings during his tenure? If the Jets didn't get lucky with Jamal Adams in that draft, which player do you think McCagnin would have picked at six since he apparently had no interest in Watson or Mahomes? So first of all, from everything I've gathered, McCagnin liked Watson, just didn't think he was worthy of that number six pick and didn't necessarily see him as an elite quarterback, but he definitely had him graded above Patrick Mahomes but as far as who the Jets might have picked at number six if Jamal Adams was off the board my two guesses are Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker that's probably what they would have done I can't sit here and tell you for sure because I don't really have any intel on it I'm just playing a hunch as far as whether or not Mike McCagnin is one of the worst general managers in history, I don't know if I would go that far. There have been some really, really, really bad general managers. How quickly we forget the Millen Man March in Detroit to try and oust Matt Millen. And we could go down the line with a lot of just awful general managers, even guys that were general managers here in New York. So I think Mike McCagnin did a very poor job as general manager here, but I definitely wouldn't put him among the worst general managers of all time. I think that's taking it a little too far. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him in that category. Uh, as soon as I uh, <laughs> saw that question, my brain went, "It can't. he can't be the worst in the world when Matt Millen existed. Uh, he also can't be, in a, uh, he can't be worse than Ryan Grigson, who not only uh, blew it for the Colts while he was there, but that led to Andrew Luck having to retire at the age of 29 because he got him beat up so badly. Uh, I, I can't, you know, I don't have uh, a list of all the GMs in front of me or anything, but there, ha there had to be even more that were worse than McCagnin. But I'd say McCagnin's probably in like the bottom, like 15%, maybe something like that. 
Um, obviously, it, it, his his tenure here was bad. As for who they would have drafted, I I thought they were going with Malik Hooker then, so I'll stick with that. I loved him coming out, and, and he's you know obviously uh, Jamal's had a better NFL career. He's Hooker's dealt with some injuries, but they're they're different safeties. Malik Hooker's more of the center fielder safety. Um, I that's where I thought they were going. But obviously they went with Jamal there, so it all worked out for them on, on that situation. Obviously, passing on the quarterbacks wasn't good, but at least he got the right safety. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Next question comes in from Anthony Siglatano. He says, where do you guys place the ceiling for John Franklin Myers? I don't think he's going to be a pro bowler or a stud or anything like that, but I think he could be a useful piece on this defense. I guess I would say that maybe he could be, and I'm not comparing him stylistically, but maybe he could be something along the lines of Steve McClendon, a very solid player that does a lot of the dirty work, isn't necessarily going to be on all of the highlights, although obviously he's got that one incredible highlight from the Super Bowl. And I think the Jets need somebody like that. I think he'll be solid depth, and he'll get an opportunity to earn a decent amount of playing time. Again, I'm not comparing him to Steve McClendon as an actual player, stylistically or anything like that. I'm just saying that Steve McClendon has been a very useful player for this Jets defense for the last couple of years, and I think that could be John Franklin Myers' ceiling. Yeah, that, I, I get what you're saying. That sounds about right, I, but... That, I mean, to be honest, he played at Stephen F. Austin. Uh, it's, I didn't spend a lot of time watching him or breaking down his college tape. I didn't see, uh, you know, I wasn't watching him closely when I would watch the Rams last year. So I don't have uh, a lot of firsthand information from him there. Obviously, he was able to contribute on that uh, Rams defense last year. So that's a good sign. They got a lot of depth there uh, now. But I'd, I'd say something like, even basically this, uh, the same type of ceiling that you're hoping for with, uh, Bronson Kafusi, probably a little bit lower. Probably you hope, uh, Kafusi has a little bit higher of a ceiling. Uh, but you're not going to get, I, I can't imagine that he's going to develop into some all pro defensive end, but he could definitely be a rotational piece that can help this team. And with the way that Greg Williams is going, planning on rotating the defensive line, that's what you need. So he could be a, a, a big help on that line, but he's he's not. I'm not expecting Pro Bowls or anything out of him. That that'd be a little crazy to think of. No, not at all. But if he could be a useful piece, that's all you really hope for with a guy that you claim off waivers. Next question comes in from Joe at Soul Brother. He says, what is a crazier concoction, KFC's Hot Cheetos and Chicken Sandwich or McDonald's Selling Lobster? To which Chris replied, are you serious? Is McDonald's actually selling lobster? And he replied with a screenshot of lobster from McDonald's. 
That is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I've heard a lot of crazy things. I've heard of wacky concoctions. I've heard of ridiculous harebrained schemes, but nothing is ever going to top McDonald's selling lobster for as long as I live. I I had to respond to that tweet immediately and like, wait, is or is this just a joke or are you real? Because I've seen the commercials for the KFC Cheetos thing and my mind was blown when I saw that. Like, I remember the, the seeing the commercials for the Taco Bell Doritos things and I was just like, why? Why would you do this? And then the Cheetos thing, I thought that was as disgusting as you could possibly get. And I, I liked KFC as a kid. I had it like seven years ago, and I was like, I'm never eating at this place again. It's disgusting. And then you to Cheetos, I thought that was horrible. And I love lobster, but selling lobster at McDonald's, like I'm just going to go jump off a cliff if I'm thinking about ordering lobster at McDonald's. What are we doing here? Like, seriously, what are we doing when McDonald's is selling lobster? I couldn't agree more, Chris. McDonald's is not supposed to be for lobster. And I'm going to draw a comparison to something I remember from when I was in radio. The day that Darrell Revis and David Harris were drafted as members of the New York Jets, I was on my way to an appearance where I was hosting a draft party for the radio station I was working at at the time across the street from the Nassau Coliseum down the road from Hofstra University. It was owned by somebody with close ties to a former New York Jet. When I went there, I was expecting that I was going to be hosting this party inside a sports bar. It was not a sports bar. The Jets player in question was not there, but his friend who owned the majority of the restaurant was there. I asked him about the restaurant, and he explained to me that what he was looking to do was provide people with an upscale Manhattan type of atmosphere on Long Island. So what he said was a 212 and a 516. In other words, 212 being the Manhattan area code, 516 the Long Island area code. Now, let me explain something to you. When you have an establishment that's across from the Nassau Coliseum and down the road from a college and the restaurant is named after a former New York Jet who you have ties to, People are not expecting some fancy restaurant. They're expecting a place where they can go and get a burger and a beer and relax after a game. Or if they're a student at the university, they can drop in, have a great hangout spot with their friends. They're not looking for some place where it's going to cost them 200 bucks for a sit-down meal. That is how I feel with McDonald's. When people go to McDonald's, they're not looking for lobster. They're looking for a burger. They're looking for fries. They're looking for a shake. This is ridiculous. And just as the restaurant that I'm talking about, and I'm not mentioning who the player was or who the person was that owned it to protect their identity from this ridiculous idea that they had, that failed. This is going to fail too. Nobody's actually going to buy lobster at McDonald's. And I suspect that within a couple of months, we're all going to look back at this and just laugh at the fact that they thought they could even do this. And, and listen, I, I'm not a good cook. I, I, don't, I don't do well with cooking. But I can make lobster. I'm gonna if if, if some if people listening, you've made lobster. You know how easy making lobster is. A lot of people that don't have never made lobster think that it's like some intricate process. And like I've made lobster for girls that I was dating, and like they've been like, "Oh my god, this is super impressive." No, you boil water and you drop the lobster in the boiling water. For about 10 minutes, and that's it. That's all you do. There's, It's very simple. The thing about lobster is it tends to be expensive. 
So I'm not going to a place that's known for be, serving cheap food to get lobster. If I want lobster, I'll go down to the store myself and I'll go boil some water and drop it in it. It's that simple. It's real simple out there. You want to impress a girl you're dating, go ahead, boil some lobster for her. Uh, but it, it's really simple. Whatever you do, do not take her to McDonald's for lobster because you, pro- you either are not getting another date or you won't want another date. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Next question comes in from Michael Parsons. He says, after what happened with the Dolphins over the weekend and the mess in the front office, does this make Gase look better? No, I don't think it does because I think their plan is very obvious and it's been obvious for a while. They're tanking. They're not going to come right out and say it, but everybody knows what they're doing. So by trading Tunsil, they're essentially saying, we are putting all our eggs in the basket of having as many draft picks as we can. It's kind of similar to what the Browns did years ago. And we believe in our ability to use those picks to completely rebuild this roster from the ground up and build it into a contender that way. We'll see what they do at quarterback. I suspect that Josh Rosen is not long for that team, and they're going to end up drafting somebody next year. Whether or not you believe in Rosen's talent is somewhat irrelevant because as Brandon Thorne, who knows offensive line like very few people do, was talking about, he had the Dolphins offensive line ranked 32nd in the league before they traded Laramie Tunsil. Now it's one of the all-time worst units in NFL history. So I think that Rosen is probably going to have zero chance to succeed there, and they will end up drafting somebody either in 2020 or 2021. But that is the strategy, and that is a big part of why I think Adam Gase didn't really want to stick around there, and there are people that believe that he was doing everything he could to push the owner to either change his mind about going through a full rebuild or let him go somewhere else where he would have a better chance to win right away. So no, I don't think this makes Gase look any better or worse. I think this is the plan, and whether you agree with the plan or not, there's a clear plan. I don't necessarily take this as dysfunction. I think they tried to make a move with Clowney, and Clowney didn't want to go there, and then after that, they went and traded Tunsil for a huge haul of draft picks. Would I have done it? No, I would have kept Laramie Tunsil. But it was a huge haul of draft picks, and they're rebuilding, so I could understand why they would say to themselves, he's going to get paid in two years, and maybe we would rather hold on to that money and just start completely from scratch. So I don't think that this makes Gase look any better or worse. Gase is going to sink or swim based on what he does with the Jets here and now. It is that simple. Yeah, see, I'm going to slightly disagree with you here, and why I don't uh, disagree with your main point about uh, this move being dysfunctional, and we do obviously know what they're doing. The fact that they were in a position where they felt that they needed to rebuild this way to trade one of the best young left uh, offensive tackles in the league, the fact that they had to move on from you know all the other offseason moves, having to move on from Ryan Tannehill, all all those things, it it shows you what a terrible roster that they had. They bottomed out w- with with Gase there so that you got to cut him a little bit of slack there because yeah, it really was that dire and that bad. It was so dire and that, and so bad that they said, no, we got to break this down to its parts and sell off the parts that work except for Xavier Howard. That's about the only uh, part they have that still works. And they just signed. It does do a little bit more too, because they do seem to be like, uh, until they made this move, they were. It seemed to be a little bit like going back and forth on whether they were tanking or not. 
Um, so there, there is a little – this trade itself, I would say, isn't a, a sign of dysfunction. But the way they've been acting all off season is a little dysfunctional. And, again, they, they bottomed out with the roster that they had with Adam Gase. And I, and I think it's clear – when you have to go ahead and say, "Hey, we get we get, we're screwed here. We need to sell off Laramie Tunzel so we can get a bunch a bunch of draft picks," I think that does speak to how poorly of a roster Gase had. I don't think it was dysfunctional at all what they were doing this off season. I think they were trying to sell the fans that they're going to try and be as competitive as possible because you're not going to come right out and go, oh, we're going to suck this year. Don't buy tickets. It's kind of what the Jets did in 2017, but to an even more extreme degree. But if you look at the moves they've made, it's been very, very consistent with a team that is looking to, again, for lack of a better word, tank. And as far as the roster being a mess, let's be fair here. Adam Gase is a big part of the reason that that roster was a mess. So if it was really bad, he has to take a lot of the blame. You could make the case if you want that now that Gase is ceding a lot of that power to Joe Douglas, that he can focus on coaching and maybe he'll be able to succeed just doing that. And we'll see. Maybe that's the case. But as I've said many times, I'll believe it when I see it because... I can't remember a case where a coach was fired that quickly into his first gig for more or less losing control of a lot of the team and then went on to immediately become a huge success somewhere else. I hope that Gase becomes an exception to this. I really do. But that is why I wasn't for his hiring in the first place. So I get what you're saying, Chris, but if you're going to say that this roster in Miami is terrible and it was so dire that they had to do all these moves like getting rid of Laramie Tunsil, you got to be fair and say that while Tannenbaum deserves a significant portion of the blame, so does Gase. That's fair. That that part is absolutely fair. Uh, well, I'll chime in there. They they just gave a, Xavier Howard the new contract just a couple months ago. Uh, like I'm wondering right now if like if you were going to keep one of them, wouldn't you have rather kept Laramie Tunsil? Like I, I, I your chances of being able to find uh, a a suitable another suitable quarterback are e- going to be would be easier to find than to find uh, a a left tackle as good as Tunsil. So I don't know. I still think they're a little all over the place. Your, your point about uh, Gase being in control of the roster is fair, but you know, like you said, if, if he uh, cedes control to Douglas there and Douglas gets some better players, then maybe that won't be as much of a problem. Uh, you know, that's obviously wishful thinking uh, and looking rose colored glasses, all that stuff right now, because who knows if that that'll stick and what Douglas will do. But I, I I still think that you could absolutely look at this and be like, Gase could be a better coach elsewhere uh, with a better, t- uh, more talent on the roster. And uh, you could point at things that happened this weekend and be like, that's how bad they were. That's the hope. By the way, I will say this as far as Tunsil goes. We don't know for sure that they were actively shopping him. It's also quite possible that the Dolphins were looking into Jadavian Clowney and the Texans said, hey, you want Jadavian Clowney? We really want Laramie Tunsil. And the Dolphins didn't really want to trade Tunsil, but eventually Houston made them such a big offer that they felt like it was something they had to take. They made the quote-unquote godfather offer. So who knows? That could be what it was. Either way, 
the Dolphins clearly, with the exception of signing Howard, who I think they feel is beyond just one of their best players, is the leader of the team, more or less, from everything I gather. Other than that, it's mostly been patchwork moves and a bunch of moves that indicate that they were just looking to fill out their roster and play out the string. So we'll see how this goes. And Gase has an opportunity to make himself look much better as a coach, depending on what he does here over the next couple of years. And like I said, I was very suspicious of the hiring when it was done. I hope that Gase proves me wrong and he ends up being a really good coach. Next question comes from the Jet Ranger. He says, the last time Le'Veon Bell played the Bills, he had 298 all-purpose yards in the snow. So it's totally reasonable to assume the same result will happen this time around, right? 298 all-purpose yards is one hell of a performance from your running back, especially if you have them on your fantasy football team. You'd want something like that if you're going for a shot at the best ball championship and $3.5 million over at the draft app and draft.com. And you can get a free crack at that $3.5 million if you make your first deposit right now and use the promo code Play like that's play like P L A Y L I K E. It's very easy to play. No salary caps, no auctions, nothing like that. It's a simple snake draft. Plus, on top of that, you don't have to do any complicated roster management throughout the year. You don't have to spend a lot of time. They will take care of that for you. They will make sure that your best players are in every single week. So head over there now, get a free crack at that $3.5 million in the best ball championship. It's a draft app and draft.com promo code play like P-L-A-Y-L-I-K-E. But Chris, as it pertains to Bell potentially having a repeat performance against the Buffalo Bills, sure, why not? We just got to make sure we find him some snow before Sunday. I was going to say, you got you to gotta break out the snow. It's probably, I mean, I know weather's crazy nowadays, but it's probably not going to snow this weekend. So if you can figure out a way to make it snow like that, then absolutely. Next question comes in from at Sloop2John. He says, Please no more analysis of Mac's record. It's obvious for the first reason. It's been hashed over and over. Everyone is aware. Finally, it's a waste of time to continue wallowing in the past. Was there a question in there somewhere that I missed, Chris? Uh, there was not, but I'm going to answer it anyway. No, I will not. And because why, the reason why we will not stop talking about it is because this is going to have to be pointed out over and over again when the lack of depth on this team, it becomes an issue. It's going to become an issue during games. They're going to lose games this year because they are of such a thin roster. This is going to continue for this entire season. I'm sorry. I get that you're tired of, of hearing about it, but it's going to cause problems this year. And unless you want uh, people to turn around and put those pin that blame on Joe Douglas, which you would also get mad at, understandably so, it's going to have to be pointed out. When they lose a game because they only have three receivers that you actually want running routes, and all three of them have some injury concerns to worry about, uh, yeah, it's going to cause a problem. So I'm sorry, McCagnon's gone, I understand this, but it's still his uh, his way of building this team is still going to be felt in a negative way throughout the season. So I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stop talking about it. 
Final question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, if the first wave of waiver claims are players who didn't make the team's 53 and the second wave are players who did but were then released afterwards, does it stand to reason that the players acquired on Monday, on average, are better than the players that were claimed on Sunday? That is a question that kind of hurts my head. I understand what he's saying, but there are a lot of layers to that. Essentially what he's saying is, all of the players that were claimed on Sunday were guys that were dropped from the initial 53-man roster. The guys that were claimed afterwards on Monday were the guys that were released to make room after somebody else was claimed on the 53-man roster. So since the guys that were claimed on Monday all initially made a 53-man roster, are they on average probably better than the guys who were claimed on Sunday? I would have to look at some data on that. Maybe. I would suspect that it's a case-by-case thing. But maybe, on average, it's possible. Like I said, I would love to see if somebody has data on that. I, I don't know anything about data uh, on this, um, because what I'm about, data could prove what I'm about to say wrong, but I'm going to say yes, absolutely. And I'm going to say it as an absolute, because I know for a fact that teams will try a, a player that they really like and they want to put on their roster squad, they will wait as long as possible to make a cut on them because their hope is if we cut them on Monday or Tuesday, that if let's just say it's a wide receiver or, you know, they, they cut that wide receiver. Their hope is that all the teams that were looking for wide receivers have already addressed that with the first rounds of cuts. And by the time that they make the cut on the receiver, they really like, he'll have an easier time slipping through waivers. So now this, uh, the answer is not yes as far as <clears throat> how good the player turns out to be, but it is yes as if that if that team is holding on to that player until Monday, then that team more often likes that player more than the players that they let go on Sunday. That's how that tends to work. Now, obviously, there's exceptions. Sometimes teams just know that, they're not going to have room for a guy, so they'll let him go right as soon as possible so they get a better chance to catch on elsewhere. But more often than not, when teams are holding a guy to Monday, it's because they like that person more than the people that they let go on Sunday. A very interesting question to end a very interesting podcast. Chris, thanks so much for joining me to go over the latest news. Obviously, a lot less news today than there had been the last couple of days. And, of course, answer some mailbag questions. We're going to have plenty more for our game day morning mailbag that will pop up on Sunday morning. It'll probably be uploaded around 5 a.m. It'll be perfect for you to get ready before the game. If you're in the parking lot tailgating, you can give it a listen. If you're at home getting ready to watch it on TV, you can give it a listen. And I think it'll be a fun thing for early Sunday mornings. We're also going to have the full pregame show. That'll be on Saturday, but Sunday will be the questions that you can get into us. And what I'm thinking is later in the week, we'll take some questions for that because I'm sure there's going to be plenty of them. There's always plenty of questions when a very big deal is involved. Chris, for everybody that wants to read your thoughts in even more detail, which why wouldn't you? Anytime you have the opportunity to get inside the mind of a very big deal, you should take it. What can they find over at JetsInsider.com? Well, for, first, let me say, be careful trying to wade into territory that is my mind. <laughs> you could end up getting lost and hurt. It's a scary place in there, and it can be very dangerous. You might not make it back out into your own head. So be careful with that. 
But yeah, you tomorrow I'm gonna do a full, um, you know, breakdown analyzing this roster, pointing out the strengths and the weaknesses. Uh, and you know, we've talked at, at nauseum about the weaknesses here. So, but there's weaknesses and there's this weaknesses that I expect to, you know, co- play out over and over again throughout the season. So I'm gonna really highlight and focus on those. I will focus on. Uh, how they can try to cover up for that and lean on other areas to, to help out with that. So uh, that's, I'm going to have that up tomorrow. And then we're going to start turning our attention to the bills, uh, all types of matchup uh, articles. I won't go in there, uh, previewing them going up against, you know, their offense and their defense ways to exploit and beat them. So that's what we'll be doing. And then during the regular season, Sunday's obviously game day. Mondays and Tuesdays, we'll do some reviews, uh, articles talking about the game they just played. And then on Wednesdays, we transition into the next opponent and breaking down the previews and uh, talking about the you know what players to highlight and look for and all that good stuff. Go ahead and read Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow him on Twitter at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. Follow his deputy editor, Alan Schechter, at Alan underscore Schechter. And make sure when you tweet at him, you tell him congratulations on his buddy Calvin Anderson making the practice squad. I'm sure that he would love to hear all about that from you. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.